Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we are talking with Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell of Captain Chris Yacht Services, who happen to be our sponsors of the year. So congratulations to them on that. And the topic today is something that's pretty timely while we've got a lot of loopers on the Inland River system. We're going to discuss whistle signals and other how to use them and other forms of communication to contact and communicate with other vessels on the Inland River system. So that's our topic at hand. Before we bring in Chris and Elise, I want to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And speaking of businesses that support the Great Loop, Chris and Elise Caldwell, Captain Chris Yacht Services, congratulations on the sponsor of the year. Well, thank you. That was a surprise, and we 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 enjoyed. I don't know how do you say this. We enjoyed being the sponsor we don't, here. We don't like to admit it, but this isn't work. This is fun. That's why we do it, right? That's well, that's we part it. of what what makes for for good sponsors, I think, because you have a passion for what you're doing, and certainly you've been a long term sponsor with us for for quite many years at this point. So it's always nice to see a long term sponsor who I know has lots of fans out there get that recognition. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah. And what when we say it's fun, it, that's what we try to get everyone to remember about the whole boating concept, the loop specifically. This is pleasure boating. It's supposed to be fun. And when it stops being fun, you got to take a step back and figure out what can you do a little differently to keep having it be fun. And one of the things that kept coming up and why I think you talked to us about speaking today is that people are getting confused or they are frustrated about the whole concept of communicating with other boats on the river and using whistle signals. Absolutely. And there were um, a, a post and a thread in the forum in the past week or so, and also some on Facebook, uh, in the Great Loop Facebook group. And, you know, it's clear that this is an area of boating that not everyone knows about. And it's also an area that depending on where you voted, first of all, we've got a lot of loopers that don't have a lot of boating experience, but even for those who do, um, this is kind of unique to that specific area of the loop, correct? Well, actually, it's anywhere on the water. It's not limited to the rivers or the Great Lakes. It's anywhere in the water, North America, and around the world. And there's two separate sets of rules. One is called international, and the other is essentially everything else that, as we do the loop, we encounter. And the biggest difference in the two is the international rules are, I am going to do this. I am going to do that. This is my, you know, my plan. Whereas on the inland rules, they are more, this is my intention, mm -hmm. and the the boat that is not um, 
um, complying. Well, no, the boat that's being overtaken or the boat that is responding to you has the veto privilege, if you want to say that. They can say yay or nay. Yes, I agree with you on what you want to do or no, um, I, I doubt that that's going to work or I have danger with regard to that. And so we'll get into how you can communicate that information, but you really need to understand these rules before you head out on the water because it can be a little confusing and our goal today is not to quote the rules those are in a book that if you have a boat that's 39 feet so many inches you have to have it on board as a reference and be able to refer to it very quickly and i know there's some people that are going to say what about the um online or if i download it onto my laptop that's fine too but you have to be able to access it quickly you can't say wait 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 let me go plug it in let me do this it's got to be something you can access quickly but the bottom line is if you don't have to refer to a book and you have an understanding of what they mean by one whistle or two whistle or what a whistle even means then you're far ahead than having to go and research. What did they mean when they said that? You know, it's like, it's like understanding a language when you go to a foreign country. Well, boating is foreign for some of us and we need to understand that language. So Chris, why don't you tell us how we got to whistle signals and why do we call them whistles when none of us have whistles anymore? Okay, well, let's, let's start out with a group that we were working with and they were saying, why is that tugboat blowing his horn so much? I said, He's telling everybody what he's doing. And then they, of course, ask, what is he doing? So let's talk about the whistle signals and how you can learn their origin and their evolution to today and then the different signal code. If you want to talk about a communication code, we'll think of it that way. Uh, originally, we had sailboats, Christopher Columbus, Sir Francis Drake, the Clipper ships, the schooners, all of the sailboats were at the mercy of the wind. So it was easy to understand what this sailboat was doing and what that sailboat was doing because you could see and they were at the mercy of the wind. Then came steamboats. Steamboats were steam-powered boats. Early were paddle boats, stern paddles, and side paddles. But they had a steam engine, and then they also had a steam whistle. So depending upon if they were going to turn right, turn left, go backwards, and I'm using simple terminology, they would use their steam whistle to alert all the other boats in their area what they were intending to do. And I underline the word intending. So inland rules, you announce your intentions, and then anybody else that is near you that may be affected by your intentions would have to agree by giving the same signal. That means they agree. We'll come back to that in a few minutes, but let's talk about the word whistle. Because it's federal law and it's over 100 years old, maybe more, the steam whistles evolved when we had electricity aboard boats. So believe it or not, we went from steam whistles to sirens. And I have to tell you, I argued him this. We don't have sirens on boats. And what'd you tell me? I used, I grew up in New Orleans. I worked in the oil field. I ran boats that had sirens on them. They did not have horns. They had sirens. And like a fire truck siren, 
you'd hear it ramp up real loud and then it would go down silence. Ramp up real loud and then go down silence. What I described was a siren two whistle signal. Even today, we have some bridges, and I'm going to call out the Sakasti Bridge in South Carolina near Myrtle Beach. I believe that had a siren on it for a whistle communication signal. Since we've had a couple of hurricanes and a couple of floods, <laughs> maybe they replaced it with a modern horn. But sirens are still out there. Now, we speak of horns, and we use the word horn, but in the legalese of the U.S. Coast Guard, it is a whistle. Now, we have two types of horns. We have the very simple electric horn, which you might have on a 20-foot boat, an outboard boat, or a 30-foot express cruiser, and you press the button and it vibrates, and the trumpet makes a horn sound. Or you can go up to a true air horn. Bigger boats would generally have that. And you may have a small air compressor the size of a Dr. Pepper can. And that makes air pressure and it comes out the horn trumpet. Or if you're in a bigger, bigger, bigger boat, you may actually have a true air compressor, something that you might find at Home Depot for running uh, grinders or sander machines or anything around the house, it's a real air compressor, and that horn, you can imagine, is loud. Yes. Don't stand in front of it when the captain presses it down. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. advice. Jump <laughs> out of your skin. Now, those are the different whistle communication devices, but I also want to make mention of radio and binoculars and AIS. So if you do have AIS, and I want to shout out, not everybody has AIS transmitters, not everybody has AIS receivers. But if you have AIS and you recognize the name of a vessel in front of you or behind you that you need to contact, his name is on your screen. You can radio him with his name, say, hey, I'm the 40-foot uh, pleasure boat over to your starboard side at three o'clock on your beam and then you have a discussion about maneuvering so you can do that with the radio but let me caution you if it's a towboat tugboat push boat commercial boat they're so busy speaking their language they might respond with something like okay i'll see you on one so you so, still have to understand what that whistle signal means what does one mean so he, he responded by saying, I'll see you on one whistle. He didn't give you a paragraph of information. He said, I'll see you on one. Let's finish up with the whistle signals. Believe it or not, every vessel has to have a sound-producing device. Now, sound-producing device can or it does change with the size of your boat, less than 16, less than 26 less than 12 meters, less than 65, more than 65. Believe it or not, your dinghy needs to have a sound-producing device. Not so much for navigating, but to alert others of danger that you're here, so they need to see you. Kayaks, canoes, 
need to have a sound producing device. And that could easily be handled with a whistle that's attached to your life jacket, which is a really helpful thing in any regard, but that could be a simple way for you to meet that standard with a small um, paddling boat. Now here's the fun part, stand up paddle boards. Hmm. They not only do they have to have a whistle, but they also have to have a wearable life jacket. Not our subject, but I wanted to throw that in. And then here's the last big deal. Where's the horn on a sailboat? Generally, they have a can of canned air. It's like an aerosol can with an orange plastic horn. So that's the horn on a sailboat. And they might be out of air, which means their horn does not operate. So let's talk about the actual code, the signals and themselves. For whistle signals, we've got two different types, and the types are short whistle or prolonged whistle. Notice he added prolonged, not long. And sometimes people say you have a short and a long, and that is technically incorrect, although people might understand there's a difference. So we want to just clarify it's short and prolonged, and short is about a second, a full second, not a toot, but a full second, and prolonged is about four to six seconds. So you can definitely tell the difference between a short and a prolonged. And let's go a little bit backwards into history. The United States and the world, everybody's conforming to international standards. When I first got my captain's license in 1973, <laughs> 100 years ago, when I had more hair, um, there were three whistle signals, short, prolonged, and long. But we no longer have long whistle signals, only have short and prolonged. Wanted to make that clear. And now with your boat, if you've got a horn on the boat, whistle signals, I want you to practice blowing the horn. A lot of people get excited, they don't have the experience, and they just go doot, 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 and the horn barely gets to make a noise before you're on your second press of the button and your third press of the button. So the goal is for having other boaters hear your horn, not that you go tat, tat, tat. That's not good enough. You've got to press the button. And on your particular boat, you have to learn how long it takes for a sound to come out of the trumpet. And if you're going to practice that at the dock, make sure everybody else knows that that's what you're doing. Otherwise, you won't make very many friends practicing with your horn signals at the dock. <laughs> or you can do it at 5 o'clock and everybody come over for a drink. Oh, there you know. go. There you go. So let's, let's, let's talk about the short whistle signals. One, two three, five. So I skipped four. There are a lot more whistle signals, but let's, let's keep it simple. Now, look at your watch. On your watch, you've got 12 o'clock, and to the right of that, you've got 1 o'clock, and to the left of that, you have 11 o'clock. So if you think that the 1 means 1, and the 11 means one, one, two, two, 
then that is the easiest, simplest way to remember your whistle signals. One short whistle means you are going to steer to the right, to starboard. Two short whistle signals means you're going to steer to the left, to the port. And that's about as simple as it can be explained. And if you take the coal regs, the U.S. Coast Guard um, regulations, and go to Rule 34, which is essentially covering the communication with whistle signals, you can take every one of their very detailed, very wordy, specific situations, whether you're meeting or crossing or overtaking. Notice I didn't say passing. Meeting, crossing, or overtaking someone. If you use that one whistle, I'm going to steer right. Two whistles, I'm going to steer left. It will cover every one of those situations. So people will say, that's not exactly what it means. No, it's not exactly what it means. But when you interpret it, it, it works every time for you. So look at those rules and understand what they mean by thinking, one, think right, two, think left. And I promise you, it will help you in each case that you encounter. It's that simple. Let's go for a couple more whistle signals. Three, well, if it's not right and it's not left, and you know boats go forward, so three must mean backwards. So three technically means operating a stern propulsion, or you can interpret that to mean I'm slowing down and I'm going into reverse, I'm going backwards. So three means reversing. But in the real world, reversing can also mean slowing down. And then if you leave it in reverse, then you'll eventually start to go backwards. And you think, well, why do I need to blow three whistles to let the guy in front of me know that I'm going backwards? And the answer may be because there's a guy behind you that needs to know you're going backwards. So three is valuable. I'll give you an, a real-world example of when this has worked for us a number of times. If anybody's already got their boat, imagine the time that you pull into a fairly new marina to you and it's got a good current or you've got a good wind going and you're getting ready to dock. And the person at the helm had agreed, this is the way we're going to come in, this is the side we're going to come in on, and at the last minute they change their mind. And in changing their mind, they have to goose it in reverse. Well, seconds before Chris has goosed it in reverse so that I don't get knocked on the floor, I'm down below holding lines, getting ready to toss a line, and I hear, uh, 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 I hear three shorts. That says to me, hang on, because he's going to hit reverse real quick. So he didn't just tell everybody around us that's what was happening. He told me also as the mate. So there have been times where it's really helped long before he would be able to even say, hang on, I'm getting ready to put it in reverse. He just hit those whistles and made it work. And let's go to five whistles. And there's been a lot of um, chatter on the forum recently about the technical definition of what five means. Five whistles, and we're conforming to international standards, but let's just understand that five means danger, doubt, Warning, five means, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't agree with what you asked to do. So five whistles can mean any of those things. But the most important thing to think about is when somebody's blowing their horn, blowing their whistle, they're communicating. 
And even if they're not talking to you directly, it may affect you indirectly, especially in the river system with currents. Uh, and I say rivers, and I'm going to say tides. Uh, Hudson River has tides. St. John's River has tides. Um, so you still have tidal effects even in the river system. But we're talking about one right, two left, three reverse, five danger, although that's not the proper terminology today, warning or doubt. doubt. You can use it all the same way. So, Chris, quick question. You you mentioned kind of early on in the discussion that um, – if the rules are basically stating your intention and that the other vessel has veto power. Is the five whistles how they express that veto power or that doubt on what you're planning to do? Yes. Yes, yes it is. And in the proper terminology and language, there's another phrase known as cross signal. So if I were to give you one short, that means I want to steer to my right and then you should steer to your right away from me if we're in a meeting situation. And if you don't agree with that for whatever the reason, do not respond with two whistles. That's called a cross signal. You should respond with five for danger, warning, or doubt, and then come back with your two and it's up to me to agree to your two, or I may have to do five also. So cross signals are confusing. So if you're wanting to do a one whistle, the other guy does not want to do a one whistle for whatever that reason is, he can come with the five and then pause and then come back with the two. And if you agree with the two, then you blow your two and everybody's happy and safe and you have to remember like we spoke in the beginning this started because this was a way to communicate long before we had radios that we could communicate with people so that's why sometimes you will have people opt to talk on the radio to make that discussion well i'd rather come over on your port side or no i'd rather go on your starboard side or that's not going to work because there's a slower boat that's on that side for me. So sometimes you can have a conversation then on the radio, of course, not on channel 16, you call on channel 16 and switch to a different channel that you agree on. But most of the time you can take care of it with quick whistle signals if everybody understands them. And that's what we're finding. And that's why the subject came up on the forum because obviously there are voters out there, many of them, who do not fully understand what whistle signals are all about. Right. There absolutely are uh, some who don't, and that's part of the reason we wanted to do this, of course, today. So I really appreciate you two kind of breaking it down to simple terms, because when you do look at the, the written word of the regulations, it does seem very complex, but it really can be broken down, you know, to the, and I love the analog clock analogy because people seem to remember that. Um, so I think it's also important for people to remember this is a communication method, like we've been stressing in this conversation. So uh, communication works best when it's a two-way communication. So you you need to be educated about this, not only so you can declare your intentions, but that so you can respond to others who are doing so, because they need that closure on that feedback loop, um, you know, either repeating their signal, expressing that you are in agreement, 
or uh, doing the five whistles to express that you're not. So definitely like any form of communication, this works when it's a two-way street. And the other thing that you two pointed out that I think is important for people unfamiliar with the commercial traffic on the inland rivers is that they will talk to you, as you said, on the radio with uh, one and two. And if you're not familiar with what that means, it can create a pretty dangerous situation on some of those uh, narrower waterways with the huge commercial traffic coming at you. So I think this is a good place to take a break and listen to a message from one of our sponsors. We'll be back in a moment with Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell. AGLCA Admiral Sponsored Dog River Marina is located at the mouth of the Tentom Waterway in Mobile, Alabama, only 22 miles from the Gulf of Mexico. The marina encompasses 95 slips, 80 of which are sheltered. They offer a ship store, courtesy car, rental cars, 24-hour guard service, and shore power. The complex's full-service repair facility is staffed with highly trained personnel to handle everything from simple repairs to complex overhauls. For more information, visit www.dogriver.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Our guests today are Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell of Captain Chris Yacht Services. Uh, Chris and Elise, where do you want to go next on the discussion? Because I know you have some more information to share with us. We okay. do. Um, sure. Um, one one other thing with regard to that communication is, although we talked about an option of the radio, the VHF radio, understand that there's two things going on here. One is that the law has not required yet for both under 65 feet to even have a VHF radio although most of us do and personally we have on every boat that we've had we have um, had a radio even on our small kayaks we'll carry a, um, a VHF handheld but your radio is only as good as if it's on and it's ready to receive properly um, I'll, I'll go back to when cell phones first came out how many of our parents would drive around in their car with a cell phone turned off because they didn't want to waste the battery? And they only thought they would need to use it if they had to call someone else, not if you had to call them. Well, it's the same way with the radio. If somebody's trying to get in touch with you and you have a radio and they see you have a radio antenna, but you've turned it down because it's made too much noise or it was squawking or you forgot about it or what have you, then it's not helping you. So use the tools you have to communicate and minimally if you if you have that radio and they do call you and you have a a few moments of I don't remember what they're talking about one or two say so because they would much rather explain it to you and say I'll see you on your right side or your starboard side or your port side rather than you assume something and not understand completely what I'll see you on one means so be honest about it if you don't understand. They would much rather that than have um, a bad situation result because you misunderstood them. And we just so happen to have a laminated card of uh, cheat sheet, if you want to call it, <laughs> quick reference, that's a better term, mm -hmm. but it's got a big red dot on it and it's got all the whistle or it's got the more common whistle signals and a very brief definition and you can leave that up on the dashboard of your boat. It's plasticized, we'll, so we'll it have, works. We'll have that at the um, rendezvous in the fall. I don't know if we'll have enough for 100%, so come see us soon so that you can get your copy and have it right there at your helm station. So now this is where we say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> we spoke about short whistles. Now let's talk about prolonged. And I 
prolonged, four to six seconds. So those those are more codes. But the simpler codes that we'll use is one prolonged. Um, that might be coming around a blind curve in a river where a tugboat, towboat, pushboat, your boat will blow one prolonged whistle. That means I'm coming around the bend. I like to phrase it more simply as, look out, I'm coming out. <laughs> and you think that's kind of cute, but if you're in a very popular boating area with a lot of boats and a lot of marinas, your dinner cruisers, your charter boats, your head boats, when they come out of the marina, they're going to blow one prolonged whistle. I'm coming out of the marina. They will also announce a security on the VHF radio is what Elise explained earlier. But you've got two chances. Hear it on the whistle. Hear it on the VHF. So the question, and you can ask yourself, what does one prolonged and three shorts mean? And that means they're coming out in reverse. So they're announcing they're coming out in reverse, which you have to interpret as meaning they may have a little more restricted maneuverability because they are coming out backwards. So that's another clue. So keep in mind one prolonged is a blind river turn coming around the bend or coming out of a marina. If you're in Palm Beach, if you're in Charleston, if you're in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, if you're in New York City, maybe even Chicago, and you're around the cruise ship terminal, or if you're in Cape May, New Jersey, at the ferry boat terminal, you hear one prolonged blast, and you see a big puff of black smoke that means he's coming out. So he announced to the world that doesn't have a radio, he's coming out. And then he also announced on the radio with a security, he's coming out. So I hope you're learning that these signals are beneficial for you to learn, and they're not difficult to learn or to memorize. Uh, a couple of other things that I want to touch base on is the inland and international rules of the road change when you go out in the ocean. And for all you guys headed to the Keys in the wintertime, believe it or not, Key West and Marathon are international rules of the road. When you get up to Isla Mirada, it goes back to inland rules of the road. And if you look at the, um, the charts, it says so on the chart at the Longboat Key Viaduct or the U.S. Highway 1 bridge. Now, one of the other big differences in the um, international versus inland is inland also talks about specific narrow channels or fairways of the Great Lakes, Western Rivers, or waters specified by the Secretary, proceeding downbound with a current. Those boats initiate. If they are downbound, they should be initiating the maneuvering signal. Now, the reason for that is if I am going downbound with a current, some of you might say, yeah, that's giving me some extra speed on my slow trawler. That's great. But that also means you have less control of your vessel if you are downbound going with the flow of the river. 
the only place where the downbound boat is the stand on or privileged vessel is in those inland rivers, inland narrow channels. Even though it makes sense, say on the intercoastal on the Atlantic, it's not the law, it's not the rule there. It's only the rule on the inland waters where there's that, that strong current going in the same direction all the time. And it makes sense then that they would be the ones that should have the deciding factor. I would like to go through this channel first. I would like to go to the right or the left. I would like to do this. And the upbound vessel, the vessel that is going into the current, is the give way or um, old terminology yeah. burdened. They have the burden of giving way to the downbound or the privileged vessel. And that also is something that came up recently in the discussions on the Facebook group and on the forum, which is, um, you know, who has the right of way. And that's not really the right term to say right of way. It's stand on or give way. And if you just think about it logically, and I know sometimes that's why laws came about because a lot of people don't have common sense. <laughs> but the common sense is if I have more steerability than the other person, I should let them go first. I should let them have a choice. And um, there's also something else that you hear people talk about, the rule of tonnage. There is no such thing as the rule of tonnage. I like to call it the rule of the bigger boat. If it's a bigger boat than me, I know he has less maneuverability than I do. And so I'm going to just by courtesy give him the, as let him be the privileged vessel. But that's we don't always have people with common sense because they've never voted before or because they just don't. So that's where the rules uh, came into play in the um, inland rivers, but not necessarily everywhere you go. So common sense will help there. It okay, definitely will. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Well, we're wrapping up. We've got a couple more things that have value that are simple to remember. Let's review one prolonged whistle means look out, I'm coming out. That makes sense. But if you're in restricted visibility, which could be fog, it could be heavy rain, or it could be a misty, just nasty weather, and you're moving, your boat is underway, making way, you should blow one prolonged whistle every two minutes. So if you're at a dock and if you're at anchor and you hear one prolonged whistle every two minutes, you can kind of look off into the distance, pardon me, hear <laughs> over into the distance that he's over there. Two minutes later, he's here. Two minutes later, he's moving across. Two minutes later, he's over there. So that is another whistle signal he's communicating, I am moving now I'm blowing one prolonged every two minutes. Now, if he blows two prolonged every two minutes, that still means look out. Two means I ran aground or I'm stopped or I'm confused. I don't know if I should go straight or turn right or turn left. So that boat in the fog, in the bad weather, is communicating what he is doing with those prolonged whistles. One every two minutes, I'm moving. Two prolonged every two minutes, I'm stopped. We don't know why he stopped, but he stopped. 
So let's let's go back to who actually looks at their watch and pushes the button every two minutes. Well, in this world of technology, if you buy a high-end VHF radio with the optional public address system and the actual public address horn, the, the PA system, look at the instructions you can actually press. Fog horn or fog bell, and the radio does all that for you. Or if you've got a very high-end boat and you've got a Kallenberg horn, which is a brand, and mind you, this is not only what they use on 18-wheel trucks, this is what they use on trains. So if you've got a Kallenberg horn with a computer programmable sequence, you can press a ground at anchor, underway in fog, you can... And it does it every two minutes. And you jump out of your skin every two minutes because <laughs> you didn't press it. <laughs> oh. And we know that because we operate a lot of different boats. And um, winding down a cute little story, we were bringing a boat from Savannah down to Florida. And dealing with the tides and dealing with the fog in December, we didn't get very far every day. But we were coming around um, – Wahlberg Creek on the intercoastal, and we were blowing our horn every two minutes, one prolonged every two minutes, southbound. And we could see well enough, and we had radar, and we had AIS. All of a sudden, the sailboat calls us on the radio and says, where are you? I said, you can hear me. He says, I know, but where are you? And I said, well, I can see you. Can you see me? He says, no, I don't have radar. I don't have AIS, but I hear you. So there's value in the horns. So I told him, I see three targets on my radar. Why don't you make a sharp turn to right or left? I'll watch you on the radar, and I'll see which one you are. And he did so, and I said, I got you. I know where you're at. He was on a Morgan Out Island 41 sailboat, and I asked where he was going, and he said he was going into the anchorage in Warburg Creek, and I said, just idle. I will come up, you can hear me coming, and then I'll get close enough you can see me, and then you can follow me into Wahlberg Creek to anchor. We were a boat length away from him before he could see us. It was that foggy. But what? the whistles worked. That's the point. The communication worked. He followed it up with, I heard you by whistle, then I called you on the VHS, and then we were able to make it work for them for a, a good ending for all this. The, the bottom line is, these are things that don't happen often that you have to communicate that way, but when they do, you need to understand it. So we really hope that this helps people to take the, the uh, rules as they are, read through them with now our guidelines of how you can interpret them and how you can have them make sense, and then use them often on the waterways. And, you know, you won't be taken by surprise the next time somebody uh, blows a couple of whistles at you and you don't know what they're talking about. Yes. So a couple of other things to mm -hmm. close. Um, there's light signals, although not many people know about them or know what they mean. It's a flashlight following the same sequence as the horn. Mm -hmm. And there's bridge signals, which we will not go into, but stop by our booth or anytime you see us anywhere in a marina near you, we'll be glad to help you with that. But the takeaway today, 
two things. Look at your watch. 11 o'clock means two whistles. 1 o'clock means one whistle. Easy to remember. Or ask us for our red dot laminated whistle signal page. We'll be glad to share that with you. Excellent. Chris and Elise Caldwell, Captain Chris Yacht Services, thank you for breaking that down to simple terms and for sharing all of those details. Uh, hopefully that'll help keep everybody safe out there and, and continuing to communicate in a two-way communication pattern is super helpful as you're out there cruising the loop. So Chris and Elise, and again, sponsors of the year, Chris and Elise Caldwell of Captain Chris Yacht Services, thank you for sharing today. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.